My guest this week on the show is Dave Crenshaw. If the name rings a bell, it's probably because you've seen his courses on platforms such as LinkedIn Learning. Dave is a prolific author. He's written five books. And today we're going to talk about his backstory. How did Dave go from being, I suppose, a coach like the rest of us to being someone with the profile that he has, having published several books and multiple courses, and of course, working with some very high-profile organizations, including CNN, BBC, and many, many more. And um, what I often like finding out from people like Dave is, what do they do to actually become successful? What uh, was the moment that sparked that, uh, you know, cavalcade of interest in what they do? And how do they get in front of organizations, many of which are Fortune 500 companies? So this week, we're going to cover all of that and more. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches, people like you and me all around the world. And the focus of the show and every episode of the show is on the business of you making money from your knowledge, your experience, your workshops, your courses, your books, your keynotes, your programs. Maybe you haven't any of those things yet. Well, that's wonderful because we've all been in that position at some point. And this is why the show exists, to share the stories of people who are perhaps further down that path than you are right now, but that's okay. Perhaps you have an established business. And if that is the case, this is a great show for you because it shares what other people are doing out there in the world of courses, keynotes, workshops, programs, people converting their experience, their knowledge into products that they can sell. My name is Mark. I'm the host of this show. I've worked in several industries, including finance, um, in learning and development in different positions as a learning and development manager and sales enablement manager. Um, I'm a self-employed trainer these days, a coach and a published author, but things haven't always been easy. And uh, many of us struggle with that mindset of how do I go from you know working in a corporate environment to working for myself? And this is exactly why these episodes exist. And you'll find all episodes of the Training Business Podcast on your platform of choice, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or even over at www.trainingbusiness.com. There are episodes going back four years now to help you and inspire you wherever you are on this journey. I'd love you to follow by clicking on the follow button or the subscribe button right now to be notified of great episodes that come out and these will help your business. And it costs absolutely nothing and takes only a couple of seconds. Dave, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Glad to be on. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, and I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. Um, your brand is quite prominent, DaveCrenshaw.com. Let's go back to your beginnings. Um, these days you have uh, products, you've got um, online courses, but where did you come from? What, what, Where were you before you got to the point where you are now working with Fortune 500 companies and quoted in all kinds of publications, including Time Magazine, BBC News, etc. Sure. So right now I'm uh, 47. And so that means that I got my start 
I began my journey 24 years ago. I was 23 and I was in college. And for some crazy reason, I thought that I could be a business coach at that age. <laughs> I, I think there's something to be said for being young and a little bit naive with lots of energy, right? Uh, so I, uh, I got certified through a company and I started coaching businesses when I was 23. And I already have a bit of a baby face, but at that age, I looked like I was about 14, and I would go into these businesses with entrepreneurs and say, I, I, I can help you be more successful. Uh, it wasn't an easy sell, but I was able to sell it. And uh, so that's really where I began was working with entrepreneurs. That's sort of my first love is small business, entrepreneurship. Uh, and part of the reason is I was trying to solve a problem that I grew up with, which was I was surrounded. You hear of um, serial uh, entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. I was uh, surrounded by serial killer entrepreneurs, meaning they would start businesses and they would fail over and over. And I was really determined to figure out how to stop that. So that sort of was the the motivation behind me uh, starting as a business coach. Mm -hmm. I also noticed from your biography something which we have in common: ADHD. Um, mm -hmm. yes. I don't know about you, but but for many years, this sent me off in like a firework or firecracker in all kinds of directions. One minute I'm writing a book, next minute I'm doing this, and things were stopped and started and unfinished. Um, you have this front and foremost on your bio. What does that mean to you and, and, and what's the impact it's had on your progression? Yeah. Well, I, I think we are all defined to a degree, not by our weaknesses, but by the things that we did to overcome them. Right, mm -hmm. the, the choices that we made, and for me, uh, fighting that really led to much of the success that I have. I say fighting it; that's not the right word. I'd say learning to manage it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, one of the things that I discovered early on in my coaching was that no one would follow through on anything that I said. <laughs> I, we'd meet twice a month. I'd give them an assignment. I'd say, I'd come back in two weeks. I'm going to talk to you about it. And predictably, they hadn't done anything. And uh, you know, I my training led me to look at systems. What are the processes and procedures? So first of all, I had to create processes to help myself, someone who is chaotic and inherently disorganized. And, um, I'm smiling here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of stuff out there that's supposed to help you with it, but most of the stuff in terms of time management organization, it's written by people who are focus masters, uh, and mm. a focus master my, by my definition is someone who's never, ever, ever had any issue with time management or disorganization that doesn't help me. Uh, getting advice from someone like that is like handing a gourmet cake recipe to a five-year-old. Everything's accurate. The, the instructions are quite clear, but I don't have the ability to execute on it. So what I did was I created my own version and adapted things and streamlined things that I got from lots of different sources. And then I was left with something very simple that even the most chaotic person in the world could execute. And that really got me into time management and writing my first book, The Myth of Multitasking. Okay, so is that really what got you started and got you, um, you, you came to the attention of, of potential clients through that book? Well, yes. The, the, the first book, it was published by Josie Bass, which isn't functioning now, but it was a division of Wiley. 
Um, that okay. certainly was a catapult. And uh, it just was one of those things where it just worked out right. Someone mentioned I should get a literary agent. And so I went looking on LinkedIn. What's a literary agent? And I found a few and I said, here's this book that I've written and the right guy got it. And so within, within a month, I had an agent. And within a month of that, I had a book deal. That is not normal, um, but it just happened to be the right thing at the right time with the right person. Mm -hmm. So these days, if I look at the product section on your website, davecrenshaw.com, you've got speaking, training, or e-training books, and consulting. Um, let's look at those individually. So you're well known for your keynote speeches. You've got a couple of topics. Was that done on purpose to hone it down to three, four, five key keynotes? Uh you mean, was it done on purpose to not have a bunch or? Yeah, it's like a key number of keynotes. Because I've seen this before where people don't just go and give a talk on something, that the talk is the product. It's it's a specific number of well-defined topics which you speak on. Yes. And and part of that is uh, you give people too many choices, it's hard for them to make a decision. But mm -hmm. for, for me, getting up in front of people is is my happy place. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not interested in, uh, for instance, I know some people they'll speak and there's like back of the room sales and I've got this program that I'm going to upsell you into. That's not me. You're right. The product is my speech. And my goal when we come away from it, when I speak to a Fortune 500 company, is that if there are 200 people in the room, all 200 of them come away with something concrete, actionable that they can do today that will change their lives. Okay. And your retraining then, you've got a bunch of courses online. Um, how did you decide what courses to develop? I, I guess it's a combination of what people asked you to do, but what, what was your instinct in terms of what you produce that's synonymous with your brand and feels good for you? Well, that's a that's an evolutionary thing. And really, my partnership with LinkedIn Learning is the best part of my career uh, right now. They're such a great company to work with. And so Again, Myth of Multitasking came out. I was coaching people on how to have better time management. And it was just one of those things where my agent was connected with people who had moved on to lynda.com, which is what LinkedIn Learning is now. And they said, we need more content. And they needed a soft skills course. And I just happened to be the guy who had this complete course on time management. So at the time, that was uh, lynda.com's 1,000th course. Now LinkedIn Learning has close to 20,000 mm -hmm. and it was their first soft skills course. So that went on their site. It was highly popular. And then it was, hey, what else can you teach about? And so it really was sort of those things where my coaching was informing my creations of online uh, training. Mm -hmm. You've written a couple of books um, beyond the myth of multitasking, uh, the result, the focused business, invaluable and the power of having fun. Um, what made you write more than one book? Uh, a strange compulsion to seek validation. Okay. That's an honest answer. <laughs> um, no, I, I, part of it is, um, you know, I grew up, uh, Stephen R. Uh, Covey was in my backyard, basically. Uh, I grew up in Orm, Utah. So Provo, and he had his house up on the hill and I'd read his books and I'm like, man, that, that would be cool. So part of it is wanting to be an author and uh, just that kind of writing is in my blood. I don't know if five books is necessary to accomplish that. 
for me, it was just a way to say I had something inside that I wanted people to hear. I, I felt could make a difference. And so I wrote the book. Over time, I've found that I'm actually reaching more people and making a bigger impact through my online courses. So that's been a big shift. I mean, Myth the Multitasking came out in 2008, and that was right at the edge of where the publishing industry started to decline. And uh, so it was really nice for me to transition to to being on camera, to doing online courses. Uh, That was a Mm -hmm. nice thing to be able to transition to. Now you've got some really juicy uh, logos on your website, Amazon, Walmart, Accenture, Ernst & Young or EY, AT&T, McDonald's, IBM, and so on. How did you get into those companies? People always ask me to ask people like you that question. <laughs> well, okay. So it's a combination of both online training and in-person presentations. And you know, if you're wanting me to break down the process... I tell anyone who's going into the training industry, you've got to have at least one book. You have to have one. Uh, You do not need to, nor would I recommend having five like I have. But that one, it gives you a level of credibility. And if you can get it published, it gives you an even higher level of credibility. And then when you try to do promotion, when you try to do public PR, um, having that book is a foot in the door to media outlets and and it gives you an opportunity to do those kinds of interviews i have tried in the past uh, mark to just to just do pr with a course and it mm-hmm. it just doesn't work and i think part of it is because media still has that ingrained thing of a book is what matters most so having that creates opportunities and that publicity and those opportunities and, and online courses, that kind of stuff, that's what leads to being on stage and getting your foot in the door with these larger companies. So let's say someone has a book. What's the next step um, to getting that book to a point where it's useful as an asset, which converts to your point to you know, talks on stage where people are in the audience and they're looking for someone like you to bring into their company? And that is the the first question to ask yourself is what is the point of that book? Some people feel that they want to sell lots of copies and make lots of money from that. That can be done, but that's not a typical result for most people in nonfiction, business, uh, self-help type literature. You're going to probably have more success if you use that book to create more opportunities. So depending mm-hmm. on what you're trying to accomplish, if you're trying to, if, if you're trying to make money off the book, self-publishing is a great way to go because there's lots of margins in it. And there are strategies. I know people who have, um, they build their whole business around selling book copies. For me, I took the alternate path, which is saying, I want publicity. I want recognition from the book. And in that case, if that's what you're trying to accomplish, I would try everything you can to try and get it published, not hybrid published, not partially self-published, but actually published with an established house, because that gives you so much more credibility when you reach out and try to get publicity. Um, And then from that, I would, I'd build your social media campaign. I would milk that content as much as you can. And because if you have to go through the work to, to write a book, 
Mm-hmm. You've already done a ton of soul searching and mapping things out and, and figuring out what you believe in and what your philosophy is. So now you've got this reservoir of content and mm-hmm. you just want to keep feeding that to social media and you want to keep looking for uh, topical news stories. I'll, I'll give you one example of this, Mark. So okay. when the myth of multitasking came out, it was right around... If I'm, if I'm right, I think it was right around Olympics. I could be totally wrong with this. There was some sporting thing going on. And so we did a, a PR reach where, where I said, why watching this sporting event as an office can improve productivity? So that, that hooks people, right? People who are in publishing, and I would say even now, like podcasts and that sort of thing, they want something interesting. They want a hook. And then you get in there and you say, well, here's how it works. If people are have a focused time to watch this sporting event together, you build camaraderie and people are focused. But the problem is most people are multitasking. And then that leads me into talking about the book and why giving partial attention to most, most things uh, is counterproductive. So um, book, hook, and then and then reach out to places who are going to be intrigued by that hook. And I, and I would add, also make sure that you're reaching out to outlets that are actually reaching your, your target audience, which mm-hmm. in my case now is, is uh, you know, people working in Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, and it's, it's a very impressive roster of logos. And I think people are often daunted by that. They're coming into the industry, the training business or the, the business of coaching and facilitation. They want to produce products. But they're daunted by the, by the uh, well, the process of getting in the door of credible organizations. They find themselves giving talks or uh, working with small organizations, but they've got their eyes on the big stuff. Um, you've also contributed to a series of publications, big names: Time Magazine, BBC, CNN. How'd you get those? Yeah, that's that's the the publicity strategy that I I talked about. Right. Okay. Um, but but most people. Okay. And, and part of it, part of my background, I grew up, I had a dad who was a talk radio host. So uh, I grew up around radio and publicity. And, and while I don't agree with most of the stuff that my dad talked about, he's, he's passed away, but I did learn how to entertain. And I did learn how, what sort of things media outlets want. And unfortunately, most authors in this space, most training business authors, they go at things just too darn direct. And that's boring. No one wants to hear that, at least in a publicity sense. They want to hear what is intriguing or what, what is a different way that you're looking at the world than anyone else is looking at it. Um, and I'm not talking about creating clickbait. I'm talking about just telling a story about why your philosophy even matters in the workplace. Okay. Tell me about Invaluable Inc. That's an interesting story. Well, that's just, that's just my company um, mm-hmm. that I created to, to manage all this. And uh, I, I just, I run really light. I only have a handful of employees and that's by choice. Um, but Invaluable Inc. Is, is the organization that I created to help deliver my coaching and training and consulting. And why did you feel it's necessary to, to state your values, uh, which are on your website, eight values, give first, be invaluable? 
Yeah. So that's, that's just part of what I learned through years of coaching businesses. The power of creating things that you believe in, short statements. So you mentioned, for instance, give first. That's our number one value. And every success that I've had in my business has come down to the fact that I have always tried to give before I ask for anything in return. And sometimes just give without even expecting anything in return. So when I state that as a value, a couple of things happen. One, I'm making a personal commitment. And I know, wow, people are, are going to see that. Number two, when I hire people to work for me, I always run them through the values. I always, even if I don't ask direct questions, I'm asking myself the questions, is this a person who believes in these things? And I would never hire someone to work for my company who doesn't um, espouse in some way those those principles. Okay. Um I'm curious about about your next steps, but before we do that, you've you've a couple of tips that you feel can help people who are in the shoes that um, well, you and I want to step into, or at least people who've been in the process for a while now of thinking of what they can do to start their own business. Um, and you've got some tips along the lines of uh, what you feel can help them. So one is to use your calendar instead of a to-do list for optimal time management. Uh, number two is to focus your schedule on your top two most valuable activities, MVAs, and to learn to ask productive questions that begin with words like what and how to encourage a deeper conversation of discovery. Can we just go through those in detail? First of all, use your calendar instead of a to-do list. Now, I'm not sure if it's a, a thing that you would recognize, but I think people with some form of ADHD are always making lists. I've always been making lists and often they don't lead to outcomes. Uh, why do you say use the calendar instead of a to-do list? It's, it comes down to one word, which is control. The calendar is control. The calendar is a conscious choice. So if I say I'm going to prepare for my interview with you on Monday at 11, I am making a commitment and scheduling that time in advance. The to-do list is the absence of control. It says, I need to get this done, but I haven't decided when I'm going to get it done. And so what happens is you just keep pushing those things off further and further, and that creates stress and it perpetuates uh, switch tasking, which I explained in my book, The Myth of Multitasking, is what really is happening when you think you're multitasking. So it's, mm -hmm. it, it's not something that maybe someone can immediately jump to, but I'm going to want you to gradually take things off that to-do list and then ask yourself, when is an appropriate time? When do I have the ability to complete this? And then you put that into your calendar with a commitment. That will start to help you regain control. And as coming from someone who has you know, off the charts ADHD, it makes all the difference in the world. I guess that that makes sense because it, I often have a feeling that I'm uh, controlling things by making lists, but what you're saying is correct. Unless it's actually time constrained, there's no intention to get things done. Exactly. Uh, and I've over the years ended up with huge lists, but uh, they're just intentions. There's no actual execution. Number two, focus your schedule on your top two most valuable activities. Now, I think if we make this relevant to people here listening, um, let's say they're developing a course or preparing to write a book to get their training, expertise, coaching brand out there. Um, talk to us about that, the MVA concept. Sure. 
Well, first of all, just the general concept, and especially if you're uh, you know, a small business owner and you're trying to create a business, you don't have one job description. You've got 30. And all of those 30 different things that you might be doing from running errands to cleaning your office to building a course to trying to get clients, each one of those is like a mini position. It's a type of activity that you can do. But only two of them are most valuable. And I think in this case, everyone listening to this, your most valuable activities are the same as mine, which is creating content and delivering content. And if I am doing anything other than those two things, I am devaluing my business. You see, those the, the top two most valuable activities, those are the things that are worth the most per hour. They're the things that would cost mm-hmm. you the most to have someone else do them, which means that if I'm doing anything else, I am making my business worth less, not worthless, but worth less when I do something that I could hire anybody to do for me. So with my team, I tell them, if I'm doing something other than these two things, creating content and delivering content, something is wrong. We need to fix the system to get those things off my shoulders or to use technology so that it reduces the burden for everyone. Then the more that I spend time in those two things, the business becomes worth more. That makes sense. Um, So the things that actually make you money are the things which are worthwhile doing. Anything else we should be bringing people in to do, ideally. Right. Yeah. Any All the low value stuff. And, and there's a little bit of a, a leap of faith that's required here. And it's, it's a leap that I've made over and over throughout my career, which is I say, I'm doing this right now. And I know that it's worth 15 bucks an hour or 20 bucks an hour. I should be doing the thing that's worth hundreds of dollars per hour. I am going to make an investment in having someone do this for me because I believe and know that if I focus on my most valuable activities, the money is going to come in. Hmm. So there, there, there has to be a, a mindset of investment and there has to be a budget set aside that says, I can spend this money to have someone else do it. And, and uh, boy, Mark, it has made such a difference in my career to have people to whom I can delegate these things. And I pay my employees quite well because I know that when I'm doing the other stuff, I'm really, really worth a lot more. That's your support team, right? Without that, you're trying to dabble in WordPress and uh, design things when yes. you can more than likely find someone else to do it much quicker. It, it, and, uh, exactly. I used better. to do graphic design and website development and bookkeeping and the list just goes on and on and on. Mm. And every one of those things that I did was pulling me away from what I really, what my, what my strengths were. Your last tip then, Dave, is to learn to ask productive questions that begin with words like what and how to encourage a deeper conversation of discovery. And that resonates with me because if I'm thinking of qualifying a potential customer, a a prospect, um, it really comes down to asking great questions so I can assess what their challenges are and think of ways that I can help them. What do you think of, why, why are you saying those questions beginning with words like what and how lead to a deeper conversation of discovery? Well, let's just take the first most obvious uh, thing. And by the way, this is based on a course that I have uh, on LinkedIn Learning called uh, How to Ask Productive Questions. And where most people default is to verb-based questions. Did you do this? 
Mm. Uh, uh, did you go to the store? Uh, but instead, questions that start with question words, how, what, why, when, where, these have to go deeper. You have to have a full conversation rather than just yes or no. And unfortunately, we all too, all too often ask yes or no questions that don't go very far. And when something is wrong with your business, when you're not accomplishing what you want in your training business, you want to ask yourself, how can I change this? What adjustments do I need to make to my model? And when you ask these questions, not just to other people, but of yourself, your brain has to work on a solution. That's the beautiful thing about your brain is you give it an input. It has to give an output. So it, the, the questions that you ask yourself is so valuable. And sometimes even questions with question words aren't, aren't useful. For instance, you might ask yourself, why did I screw that up? <laughs> why did I not close that deal? That is not productive because what's happening is you're now going to negatively reinforce your brain the, 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 the ridiculous things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're looking for the negative, but instead, how can I do better the next time? What words could I have used? And now the questions become positive and productive. And hopeful. You feel yes. better about the next chance as opposed to beating yourself up. Um, Dave, where can people find out more about you? Obviously, DaveCrenshaw.com. Where else can they connect with you and find what you do? Yeah, DaveCrenshaw.com. And uh, also LinkedIn is our number one platform. Even even people who are on my uh, follow up list, we we encourage them to go to LinkedIn. I'm always putting content there and putting up free courses, uh, letting them know about things that are going on with LinkedIn Learning. Thank you so much for being my guest today on the show, Dave. My sincere thanks to Dave Crenshaw for being my guest this week. You can find out about Dave by visiting his profile on LinkedIn. You can find his courses on LinkedIn Learning. And you can also visit his website, which is davecrenshaw.com. All links, of course, will be on trainingbusiness.com for this week's episode. If you have a question or a suggestion, please email me. My email address is mark at trainingbusiness.com. My team, Sam, Joe, James, Turrell, and I, of course, appreciate your loyalty, your listenership, and your time today. Please click on follow or subscribe to be notified of great episodes as they come out. There is a fresh episode of the show next Thursday, of course. Until then, keep going, keep leading, keep selling. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.